Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi, everybody. It's Doc from the John Freakin' Mirpod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Crying. Acceptable at funerals and the Grand Canyon. Ron Swanson. By the time we got down to the bottom, it was 108 degrees. And I was extremely sick. I don't know if I was dehydrated or what, but I barely even made it to the campground. And had no energy to walk anywhere. I just sat until we went to bed at 7.30. And we woke up at 2.30 in the morning so we could start hiking out. And I was still very sick. Could barely walk, so it took us 16 hours to get out of there. Wow. Right? They were splitting up all the gear between them, so I didn't have to carry anything, and we had to stop a bunch so I could kind of rest. And I was determined to get out of there without being helicoptered, though, so I made it, but you think that would have ruined me, and that I would never, ever want to do something like that again. Cause that was the first time I'd ever slept in a tent as well. Wow. But 
I think I'm stubborn, so you know, I wanted to do better, plan better, find out the right gear we should have carried, and do it again, so they all can learn from it. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and Renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail with the John Freaking Muir Pod. As you might imagine, I am always on the lookout for potential content for the pod. And when I stumbled across some fantastic photos of angels landing on Instagram, I had to invite this week's guest to come on and talk about this hike and maybe some others in Utah. We have not had an episode on Utah hiking yet on the pod, and I thought this would be just the opportunity. Now, while she confessed that she was no expert on Utah hikes, Jen Lucas agreed to come on and talk about the Angels Landing hike, and she also revealed that she has a considerable amount of other hiking experiences across the country, including our favorite, the John Muir Trail. Welcome to the pod, Jen. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Before we get too far down the trail, do you have a trail name? I, well, it was kind of self-given. Uh, it was Turtle because I'm very, very slow on the trail. Uh, when my family and I uh, hiked the John Muir Trail, we all kind of came up with some names, but I'm on the lookout for a new one. Okay. For, for the sake of tonight's uh, episode, do you mind if I call you Turtle or would you prefer Jen? Let's stick with Jen. Okay. Right. <laughs> it's more we'll attractive go. than Turtle. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go with Jen. Very good. Now, have you listened to the pod before? I have. I uh, found your uh, recent one with the family that did the JMT pretty interesting since I have some kids. Mine are a little bit older, but nice. pretty cool to hear some other perspectives. Could you put yourself in the uh, the swim trunks of the father who was swimming uh, in, oh, on the ice cold lake and wondered he, if he was going to make it across? That was absolutely well, a harrowing experience. Yeah, I did never got in the lakes like that uh, when I was on the trail. I just would stick my feet in, but there was a time when I did the have a soup eye trail and jumped in the water and it had that feeling where I just couldn't breathe and kind of panicked. So I can relate to that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Scary moment. So you've listened to the pod. You know that we have a segment, a regular segment on the pod called the pro tip insight of the week. And so I'm giving you the heads up right now that at the end of the episode tonight, I'm going to turn to you and say, Hey Jen, what's your pro tip inside of the week? What can you share with our listeners? that's going to make their next adventure that much more epic. All right. Good. All right. So start thinking about that as we, as we, we have our conversation. All right. So let's get to uh, kind of your background and growing up and family and your interests and how you got involved in backpacking. Oh, it's a long story, but in terms of background, I've lived in Texas my entire life and uh, growing up my Family had four kids. I had an older brother and sister and a younger sister. And my parents liked to travel, but to save money, they had an RV. So we did a lot of camping trips. And no, not really any hiking, but, you know, we'd stay at different places in Texas and even went into Arkansas. And we would just stay there. Lots of places we'd go to every year. Same places down in New Braunfels, uh, near, down near Austin in Texas to go on tube shoots and there. Uh, 
on the river. And uh, we also did a two-week trip where we did seven states. So usually it was an RV. So that's kind of how we started traveling. You know, not big hikers, so it's not something I really grew up with. But my uh, husband and I, Casey, we've been married for 25 years, and we're high school sweethearts. So we've got Congra- two boys. Congratulations. I know the feeling. We just celebrated our 30th, and we were high school sweethearts. Yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> There's very <laughs> few of us that are high school sweethearts. So hey, it's, it's, cool. it, it, feels, it feels like just three minutes. Yes, exactly. Being held underwater. So we have two boys, Carter. He's 18, and he's a freshman at A&M. And our youngest son, Cooper, he's 16. He's a junior in high school. So Mm -hmm. we've uh, focused a lot on them in terms of travel. And it's gotten more exciting as I've gotten older. And I think we've really tried to ramp up what we've done in terms of John Muir Trail and things like that, knowing that they were going to leave home pretty quick. So I think that's really what spurred it in the last five years, some of these trips. Okay, so the last five years is when you got into backpacking. Can you remember the moment where you, you thought to yourself or you had a conversation with Casey and you said, hey, it'd be good to just, you know, put a lot of stuff in a bag and go live like, uh, like we're homeless out, out in the wild, not shower and walk for miles on end. That sounds like a good idea. Do you remember that moment? Uh, well, I think the uh, Grand Canyon is what spurred that. And there's kind of a long backstory to that. And I'll try to make it short. But my husband had uh, hiked the Grand Canyon when he was 12 with his grandfather. His grandfather had four grandkids and he took each kid on a solo trip. And so the Grand Canyon was where they happened to go. And so when we had kids, he always said, you know, one day when you take our kids to Grand Canyon, of course, we'd never backpacked or anything before. So we just kept putting it off thinking, you know, 12 was a magic number since that's when he did it. And I had gone through Grand Canyon in 2015 with my mom and sister on a road trip. My sister was moving from California to Texas, so she wanted us to ride along, and we happened to stop at the Grand Canyon, and I was thinking, oh, it's pretty cool, you know, so I got some books and maps and took a picture of them and sent them to my husband, and I was thinking, well, maybe it's time that we go to the Grand Canyon. So I came back, and we planned it for the next year, and uh, it was really kind of a road trip we were going to take, and we spent 11 days, and the ultimate goal was to backpack the Grand Canyon, but, you know, we visited a whole bunch of other places in mm-hmm. New Mexico and Arizona and even up into Colorado. So, you know, we were newbies. We didn't have any of the gear. We had gotten some hiking shoes the year before when we went to Yellowstone, but we had nothing. You know, we didn't really know what it entailed. So I did a bunch of research. We went to REI and spent an insane amount of money on gear for everything we thought we'd need. And so we, we did it. We went to the Grand Canyon and it was, a horrific experience if I could put it that way we packed way too much gear you know we didn't really prepare in any way and I think the worst decision was that we did it in June so it was extremely hot I think Mm -hmm. there's like a 20 degree difference between the rim and the bottom of the canyon so by the time we got down to the bottom it was 108 degrees and I was extremely sick I don't know if I was dehydrated or what but I barely even made it to the campground and had no energy to walk anywhere. I just sat until we went to bed at 7.30. And we woke up at 2.30 in the morning so we could start hiking out. And I was still very sick. I could barely walk. So it took us 16 hours to get out of there. Wow. I, they were splitting up all the gear between them. So I didn't have to carry anything. And we had to stop a bunch so I could kind of rest. And I was determined to get out of there without being helicoptered, though. So I made it. But you think that would have ruined me and I would never 
ever want to do something like that again. That was the first time I'd ever slept in a tent as well. Wow. But I think I'm stubborn. So, you know, I wanted to do better, plan better, find out the right gear we should have carried and do it again. So, you know, I can learn from it. So let's unpack some of that. There's a lot of, lot of information right there that I want to I dig into a little bit. First of all, uh, I have a good buddy who we've done a lot of hiking together, and we were on a Mineral, mineral King Loop uh, trip. His name is Chopper. He earned his, his nickname on his trail name on that particular trip because he had altitude sickness and had to be choppered out. So you missed yeah. out on uh, kind of being strapped to the, the strut of a helicopter and being hauled out of there. Well, yeah, when we, before we actually started the hike, we were walking around the rim and just checking everything out. We went in this gift shop and there was a shirt that said, I hiked the Grand Canyon and I said, I'm going to get that shirt. So that's what I kept thinking about the whole time is, okay. I'm going to get that shirt. <laughs> that kept you in it. Very good. It did. Jokingly, I guess. But yeah, that's what I kept saying. I'm going to get that shirt. Let's go back to your gear because I've always, I've always thought that REI is the biggest beneficiary of the latest hiking craze when when wild came out uh, first the book and then the movie and things started to get real popular on the trail i just have this feeling that that rei made hand over fist in terms of of money so, oh they sure have from us that's for sure oh yeah <laughs> too, too much money <laughs> so can you kind of take us through your gear list that you picked up at rei and if you wouldn't mind i'd love to hear the the approximate cost uh, if I had to guess, it was in the realm of probably three to four thousand dollars. Because usually when we buy things, you know, whatever it is, dishwashers, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, we we try and we do a lot of research, and you know, we try and go with the best items because we know they're going to last longer. So that was kind of our thought with all the gear as well. So mm-hmm. we did the research, went in there, you know, we got the uh, big Agnes tent, we got the yeah nice we started my husband had an osprey backpack i got a daughter which i hated now i like the osprey as well and you know we got the hiking poles i got the 150 dollar hiking poles and it was going to be hot so we had just gotten some kind of cheaper uh sleeping bags on amazon mm-hmm. and the kids i think we just got them some cheap like pool floats for their air mattress but we bought some rei ones which were extremely heavy. I mean, I think they were like over two pounds. You know, I could never carry those on a back backpacking trip now. And, you know, all the other cooking gear. And I, I, my family still jokes with me that I carried way too many batteries. I mean, I had never backpacked before. So, you know, I wanted all those comfort items. You know, I wanted to make sure we had the extra batteries for headlamps or for charging my phone. You know, for all, just thought we had a big camera too. I carried a big DSLR camera. Mm-hmm. We had way too much food, so it's just silly now looking back at what we carried for one night. And I hesitate to ask, how much did each of your bags weigh? We did not weigh them for this. I mean, but for that, that's, we, that's probably a good know, we idea. Yeah, oh, exactly. I mean, I if I had to guess, my pack was probably thirty-five, forty pounds. Okay. Which you know, my, it was way less than that for JMT and. Uh, who knows what my husband's pack was. And then my youngest didn't carry a big pack because I think he was 11. Mm-hmm. So he just carried a little backpack. And uh, so all his gear was spread in some of ours. So I ended up not carrying my pack up. Like I said, my youngest ended up carrying my pack because I just, you know, could barely even move myself. So they were generously 
carrying that for me. But yeah, it's just ridiculous. When I look back at it, I'm almost embarrassed at how bad that trip was. And I'm surprised that, you know, after that first experience like that, that you have turned into, uh, you've put together quite the hiking resume. Yeah, I think almost obsessively. And part of it, like I said, was my kids, you know, realizing that this was a pretty cool activity we could share with them and realizing we were running out of time with them at home. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of what spurred it. And also I'm 45 now. So that was like 40 or so, 41 when I did the Grand Canyon. So Mm -hmm. I've I guess my mindset then was that you can't do this when you're older, which of course I know differently now. I see people in their 60s and 70s doing JMT and other hard trails. So right. something to look forward to. That's right. Now, I don't think we've had anybody on the, the podcast who has talked about uh, the Grand Canyon hike or Grand Canyon hikes. Uh, would you mind, do you have the details in front of you? Do you remember the stats? Uh, how long is the trail? What kind of elevation are we talking about? Those kinds of things? Yeah, the elevation, I think, um, is the hot, most amount of elevation gain. I've probably done. I don't know if I ever did any that big in a day on the John Muir Trail. Not that I can recall. But the uh, trail going down, we did the South Kaibab Trail, and it's seven miles, mm-hmm. which for then sounded like a lot you know again when you do trails like the John Muir Trail and you're doing 14 miles a day it doesn't sound like very much but for first backpacking trip yeah it was pretty good especially with it's like 4,780 elevation change so that's that that you'll feel that one yeah oh yeah I mean you'll feel that especially if you don't have any hiking poles with you Mm -hmm. and then coming up we did this the Bright Angel Trail which is nine and a half miles and uh just under 4,400 elevations so you know, that's a little bit longer. Like I said, it took us 16 hours to get up there. And again, you know, I hiked Mount Elbert, uh, which is the highest peak in Colorado mm-hmm. a couple months ago. And it's, it's about that elevation change. And uh, it was a much different experience, even at elevation from the Grand Canyon. So I'm just going to chalk that Grand Canyon up to being a newbie. And I know much better now. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the rim to rim trail or is that something different? Uh, the rim to rim would be uh, going from the south rim to the north rim. So we mm-hmm. just went down from the south and then came back up to the to the south rim. Got it. I know. Now, when we got on the shuttle that morning, there was a family and they had two young kids with them that were much younger than mine, and they were actually going to go from rim to rim to rim in one day. So here we are with our big packs, and we're going to go down in one night. And we're thinking, oh wow, I can't believe these people can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were we were pretty impressed. Nice. And after so after the the Grand Canyon trip, um, how did you find about ha, find out about these other types of trails like the High Sierra Trail, like uh, JMT? The I don't even remember how I found out about the JMT, but the only thing I do remember is that once I found out about it, I, I it just made my mind up instantly that I was going to go. And of course, my husband thought I was crazy. You know, he's like how can you even consider doing that in those many miles? But I don't know, I guess I'm kind of spontaneous in that way where, you know, once I get it in my head, I'm going to, I commit to it and I'm all in. Mm-hmm. Now, do you drag your husband on all of these trips as well? Uh, a lot of them. Yeah. And the kids and the kids. And okay. And they've gotten burned out, but they're, uh, it takes, you got to get the, uh, what do they call it? Hiker amnesia going. So That's then they're ready to go again. That's right. Our, our, our brains are funny that way that, that we, we forget the pain and the trauma and we remember the good times in, oh, in, yeah. 
in just about everything we do. I mean, that's how come, you know, women have multiple kids, right? So uh, it's, they forget the pain and the trauma and they remember the good stuff. And, oh, exactly. I remember I telling a friend first time after having my first kid, I'm never having another kid. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I think that's also part of why we have the concept of the good old days. Cause we think back in the past uh, to when I'm sure, I'm sure life was simpler, but uh, I'm sure it had its, it had its problems as well. And we forget, about, we tend to forget about the problems and just remember that the good things and the good times and it comes the, the good old days concept. Yeah, exactly. So which, uh, how, how did your gear evolve as you became a more experienced backpacker? What did, what did you change out? What did you do differently? What did you leave at home? Oh, leave it home. Well, I think the John Muir trail is really the, the trail that defined my gear. And it was a good little test because you, you do resupply. So you have some chances to mail gear home. And we sent a lot of gear home. It was my oldest son was 16 at the time. So he hiked it with me after my friend had to back out. And uh, we started out with a chair, or at least I did, ended up sending it home. And she sent a lot of clothes home. And like I said, extra batteries or just extra food. I mean, I couldn't even eat the first week on the trail. I was kind of nauseous and didn't have appetites. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I even had a little thermometer for the weather. I mean, just little goofy things that you realize you actually don't need. Mm -hmm. And so that first um, John Muir trail trip was, what year was that? That was 2018. 2018. And you've hiked it more than once. Am I correct? Uh, We went back the next year and did a section. uh, I think it was about 67 miles. Okay. And we went back simply because we, my son and I had to skip Whitney that first year. So we went back all four of us then and did the section from Horseshoe Meadows and then out to Onion Valley. So got got Whitney in the next year. Okay. Let's stick to that 2018 trip. You're from Texas, right? You live in Texas. Yes. How do you get from Texas to the John Muir Trail? What, uh, what are the travel arrangements? How did the permitting process go? Were you successful on your first attempt? Um, just for our, our listeners who may be in other states and thinking about doing the JMT in California, how does that work? Well, for uh, it just takes a lot of planning, a lot of logistics to figure out. I mean, I think some of that's just as hard as the trail itself, just in terms of timing and dates and uh, so we flew out of Dallas and flew into, gosh, where did we find? Oh, we flew into Reno and there's only a few flights into Reno. So you got to plan that. And I think we arrived, I think it was maybe one thirty or I can't even remember. It was a couple, we had to wait a couple hours and we were going to take the uh, Eastern Sierra uh, transit shuttle from there down okay. to Lone Pine, which takes about six hours. Of course, there's only one pickup a day for that. So we had to catch that shuttle into Lone Pine and uh, stayed at a hotel there. And there's a few options to get to the trailhead. And we had booked uh, Lone Pine Kurt, favorite of mine. And uh, his friend ended up taking us to Horseshoe Meadows. So I know some people hitchhike. We didn't have to do that at any point on our trip. But uh, yeah, you just got to find shuttles and plan it all out and figure out the times of all the shuttles between cities. So. so you flew into Reno, which is a bit northeast of portion of the, the trail further up, and then took a yes. six-hour shuttle down to Lone Pine, which is closer yep. to Mount Whitney. Mm-hmm. 
And then you did a northbound hike from Horseshoe Meadows. Yes. Got we it. did the Cottonwood Pass Trail. Got it. Okay. And uh, so this is you and your son, your 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. And did he know what he was getting into? I mean, he had he, I mean, he did the Grand Canyon trip with you, but did he understand what, uh, and did, did you understand what you had signed up for here? I don't think he understood. And as much research as I did and watched, you know, movies and videos and read everybody's travel blogs, it's, I don't think it really prepares you for what you're really getting into. And, uh, you know, we did the permitting. I tried to go southbound course went through the lottery for 20 something days and never got it so I was actually okay with going northbound you know I've heard lots of good things about it and figured it would work out just fine so that was not an issue and my friend Sunny she had never backpacked before and I had wrangled her into the trip to Havasu Falls the year before and it was her first trip there and I thought she's just crazy enough to do the John Muir trail with me and I knew I could get my husband to do it because he just couldn't take off that much for work. So I had planned it out with her in mind and figured we could do it together. And she had to back out a few months before we were to leave because of work. So I was pretty upset and kind of depressed about it. I didn't know what to do. So I talked to my husband. He's like, well, how about Carter? So we asked him and, you know, he, I think he knew how much time and effort that I had put into it. So he, he said he'd go, but yeah, I don't know if he was too excited about it. And did Carter have a trail name? Did he pick up a trail name? Uh, we ended up calling him Rock Hopper. Uh, he got that one at the top of Donahue Pass. He had kind of jumped out to the, on these rocks, and we didn't even realize that he was almost out in the middle. And he was, uh, I, I didn't think he'd make it back without falling in. And I started videoing him, and we were getting ready to laugh at him. And he, he made it, so we called him Rock Hopper. Yeah, it's not exactly a lake up at uh, Donahue Pass, but it's it's kind of a pond, right? With yeah. uh, these these rocks kind of interspersed. Mm-hmm. So he, he picked up his name. That's a good name, Rock Hopper. Like it. Now you talked about prep and watching uh, videos and movies and other online resources. Can you give us a top three of uh, you know top three resources for preparing for the John Muir Trail? Well, there's lots of YouTube videos, you know, I can't even recall some of the blogs that I watched. Of course, you know, the movie Wild and, uh-huh. uh, you know, because I didn't really prepare you for the High Sierra. So I uh, think you just read lots of stuff and lots of books and hope for the best. Yeah. Was there a particular book or movie that uh, was better than the others? Um, there were some books I read. Let's see if I can find the top titles of them. There's one called Hiker Trash, Life on the Pacific Trail. Yes. Yep. And uh, there's another one. I can't recall the name of it offhand, but she had a very interesting writing style. But just a bunch of miscellaneous books, you know, a lot of more Pacific Trail related, but they at least give you an idea of what elevation, high elevation and lots of mileage, you know, would take. Right. Was was, I know you said there was uh, one that was pretty different perspective uh there was one by carrot quinn that i that i that's the one i'm talking about yep, yeah that one. i guess through hiking will break your heart or something yes like that. that one yeah yeah that was very very good better very entertaining i'm currently in the middle of or getting close to the end of uh journeys north by barney scout man oh, i've seen that one right? i haven't read it yet yeah i've, I've got him coming up on a, a future episode to talk about it and uh, it's really a good book i'm always looking for for good media 
to kind of satisfy my hiking hunger in the off season, you know, something to read, something to watch to kind of keep me occupied and connected. Yeah. So how many days did you did it take you to do the, the, the northbound trip? Uh, total, uh, we had planned 24 days. Uh, we ended up doing it in 23. And okay. that's because we, uh, with our permits, we could have hiked Half Dome. But since that was at the end of the trip, we, we skipped it. So that allowed us to finish the day early. But uh, what we had done is I had gotten permits from my husband and my younger son, Cooper, to uh, enter the trail at Devil's Post Pile. So we actually uh, met them in Mammoth, and they hiked the last 57 or so miles with us. That's fantastic. That's great. Family affair at the end. Yeah, that was, uh, I think we had been a little more seasoned at that point. So, you know, that was the longest time they had been on the trail at that point. I think it was maybe five days. So it was good to have them there. And how, what was the total mileage from uh, Horseshoe Meadow to, to Happy Isles? Uh, I think I estimated around 240. We had to add, I think it's 20 something miles when you come in at Horseshoe and then you add 15 extra miles for uh, resupplying out over Kearsarge and uh, then you take some off for us skipping Whitney. So yeah, 240, which sticks in my mind ever since that day because you still wonder how I did it. Now, what were your resupply points? I, I, I heard you say Kearsarge, and that's probably, that's Onion Valley, right? Uh, yes. How about the other resupply points? How many resupply Muir points? Trail Ranch, and we ended up taking a zero there. Okay. And uh, it's a great place to stay. Mm -hmm. We stayed there, and then uh, normally uh, people would resupply around Red's Meadow or Tuolumne, but since my husband was coming in and uh, meeting us in Mammoth, he just brought us some extra food and supplies at that point. So we had three total. Okay. Well, that's not bad. And were you carrying about uh, 30 pounds at that point or how, how, what were your packs this time? Uh, I don't know what I started out with, uh, but I did weigh it the morning we left from Mount Williamson to get back on the trail and it was 29 pounds. And I think my son's was 36. Oh, so he was carrying uh, the bulk of the food. He had a big bear canister and I had the smaller one. So it's good to have a strapping young son to carry additional equipment. Uh, I, I use that tactic as well on, on several trips. Well, it's uh, amazing what a few uh, Jolly Ranchers and candy can do to bribe your kid to carry things for you or put your tent up for you when you don't have any energy at the end of the day. Nice. Now, how would you describe the experience to someone who's never done a through hike? What is 240 um, miles and 23 days on the trail? What is that like? I think for sure it would be very hard, at least for me. I mean, it seemed like it was a cakewalk to my son. He had pretty much no issues uh, and life-changing. I mean, I think for both of us and uh, my son had written I wanted, I always put together these photo books after I'm done. So I said, Hey, why don't you write something up for me? And he's a pretty good writer. He was an early reader. So he's, he's pretty good at writing. And I, I just couldn't even believe what he wrote. I mean, it was just talking about what we had done and the experience. And you just see things that a lot of people don't get the chance to see because you can't just drive a car in there and see this stuff. So it's just amazing you know, and you, you realize that I walked there to get to that point, which is kind of a really big sense of accomplishment. 
And then you feel sorry for people that, you know, maybe can't get to it because they're missing out on so much. Mm -hmm. So it's great to share it with people. One of my favorite questions to ask my guests is what did you learn about yourself from the trip? Oh, well, I could pretty much do anything I put my mind to. I mean, I think the word grit's kind of overused these days, but you just got to keep going. That first five days before we uh, did our first resupply, they were probably the toughest. And I think some of it was altitude. You know, I didn't feel very good and couldn't eat much. And my feet hurt and had blisters. And so when we went out to resupply and we're heading down into Onion Valley, you know, I just kept thinking, oh my goodness, we got it. You know, we're already hiking seven and a half miles off the trail. And now we're going to have to hike back up and over. And I just didn't know if we could do it. But at the same time, I was like, you know, I told people I'm doing this and I don't want to give up. You know, I can't go back home and, you know, unless I'm injured or something. So we ended up doing a zero day there because we had skipped Whitney. So we had an extra day and we uh, went into Lone Pine. I got some new shoes and we got some food. And then you know, I was still thinking, we have to get back on the trail. I mean, there's only five days. And you're just thinking it's kind of daunting that you still have 17, 18 days left of this. But uh, the hike back in that day up to Cusage was easier than I expected. And we ended up going over Glen Pass in the same day, which I'd heard people, you know, doing two passes in a day. And you think, oh, I could never do that. But we did it. And you just keep going. And, you know, you think about my husband's going to be at home working for the next 10 hours and I'm going to be hiking. You know, it's it's kind of an interesting mindset that that's what you're going to do. But you just got to do it. Yeah, life kind of gets real simple and uh, uncomplicated when you're on the trail, right? You have you have one goal, and that's you're, you're walking to the next campsite. Yeah, and you realize how how you don't need so many things. I think that really changed my mindset. You know, I worked as an interior designer since you know, graduating school, and I've worked in a design firms for over ten years before I started my own thing. And, you have to dress nice and you have the nice purses and all that stuff and you do your makeup and your hair. It's like you get on the trail and you don't think about any of that stuff anymore. And you come back and you think this just doesn't really matter to me anymore. So it's really changed a lot of things about me and my lifestyle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I know you've, you've listened to the family on the trail episode. I'm going to ask you or, or, or advise you to uh, take a listen to Gabe and Kevin fast pack the JMT episode. So you did, you did yours in, in 23 days, poor Gabe, his wife only gave him a week to do it. So he and he and uh, his buddy, Kevin, who are ultra endurance runners, they, they did the trail in six days. Mm. Just make my feet hurt thinking about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So some questions for you, uh, boots or trail runners. Um, I don't wear boots and I do, I did try the ultra lone peaks at one point, not on the JMT, mm-hmm. but both times I wore them, I got issues with my knee, the IT band, yes. which okay. was horribly painful. Yeah. I got it on two different trips. So I got rid of those and I, now I'm wearing Merrill, Merrill Moabs. So I started out with Keens early on and then mm-hmm. I think I wore Oboes on the JMT. So. Now I'm a, I'm into the old trusty Merrill's. Merrill Moab's good choice. Good choice. All right. Tent or tarp or cowboy camping. Um, I've never done cowboy camping. I think that would be kind of interesting depending on the weather, but definitely tent. 
Definitely tent. Okay. And what you stick with the big Agnes? Yes, we have three now, so we just keep buying them. <laughs> nice. And I know that before my first through hike, one of the things I worried about or was concerned about was uh, the whole process of going to the bathroom on the trail. Was that uh, an eye-opening experience for you and Rockhopper? Uh, Rockhopper probably is- took to it pretty naturally. Well, that's kind of funny because when we finished a trail, he, I think his comment was, I pooped in some of the most beautiful places. So that's what he took from it. I don't know. It didn't, I took to it pretty easily. I, yeah. I don't know. Surprisingly, I guess it's, it's easy to just, just do it. Yeah. You can't beat the bathroom views on the JMT. <laughs> yeah. And, and Chopper, whenever we talk about this with people who we haven't hiked for hiked with before, he'll always say that he, he, pract- he practiced uh, the month leading up to the, the start of the hike by, by pooping in the backyard for a month. So. Oh, that sounds nice. But, you know, it's, by the time we did the High Sierra Trail this past summer, and I had my husband and two boys, and they brought a friend along, it was you know, to the point where, you know, I don't even try to hide anymore. I'm, I just say, y'all turn around, you know, <laughs> go off the trail a little bit. So, yeah, he kind of lose any inhibitions like that yep nice all right hey before we go to break can you give me a top five of your favorite locations on the john muir trail hmm there's a lot of them i would say just the trailhead i think that was pretty exciting just to be there uh forester pass love that pass i don't i I don't even know if I could explain why it's my favorite pass, but it's just something really kind of cool about it. I think it was the most interesting pass, you know, that we got to at first as well. Yeah. Now the times that I've been over Forrester, each time it's been thunder and lightning and wind and rain and sleet. I've never seen it in the sunshine. I'm not sure it exists in the sunshine. So did, was it sunny for you? Uh, both times at Forrester, yes, because we did the section the next year. Now the big difference between the two years was 2018 was a low snow year, so Mm-hmm. Uh, it was smoky because there was all the Ferguson fires right. up in Yosemite, right. uh, but it was the trail was clear and it was pretty nice. And then the next year was a higher snow year, so the whole north side of the pass was completely covered in snow, and so there were no switchbacks. I mean, there was a new trail that just kind of went straight down to the next ridge, and it was it was pretty scary. I mean, I put on micro spikes, but it was it was just a lot of snow, but still, still liked the pass. Yeah. And now, what, what were the dates? I'm sorry. We're going we're gonna to take a little side trip here. What were the dates of your trip in 2018? Uh, we started on, I think it was July 23rd. We got okay. towards the end of July. So All right. There was quite a bit of snow I think, already. I think we were on the trail at the same time that year, and we were heading north from your trail ranch. So at July 23rd, that was our trail entry. Okay. We, we were probably near each other at some point uh, on that trail. Interesting. Okay. Uh, that, so I've heard two, Forrester and two. Uh, Trailhead. What about the other three? Um, let's see. Probably I liked Mirror Pass a lot. And I liked camping at Lower Palisade Lake. There was a lot of people around, surprisingly, but just the scenery around there was really pretty, especially at sunset. Yes. Palisade Lake is gorgeous. And one more. I think I like Donahue Pass too because I, I th- we hit it on my birthday. So the my Casey and the kids surprised me by singing happy birthday to me. And we ran into a 70 year old guy that was uh, 
on the trail and I forget his name, but he had hiked the trail so many times and he was going off in trails that John Muir had supposedly hiked. So he was a pretty interesting character. Nice. So that's a, it's a good assortment, good choices there. And like you said, there are so many to, to choose from on the John Muir trail. So stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into some other hikes like the high Sierra trail and that angels landing hike. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Glenn Schweitzer, filmmaker for the film Trail Mix. You're listening to the John Frickin' Muir Pod. And welcome back. We're talking to Jen. We've just talked a little bit about her JMT trip in 2018. Let's skip forward a year and talk about uh, the section that you did in 2019, including the summiting of Mount Whitney. All right. So when my son and I did John Muir Trail, it had been raining and hailing for our first few days. So when we got to Crabtree, we were still planning to do Whitney, but we just didn't know about the weather. And we were kind of clueless. I mean, we didn't realize you should start super early. So I think it was like seven in the morning. I ended up sending my husband a message on our Garmin and you know, I asked him to check the weather for me. And apparently it had already been raining at seven in the morning and it was supposed to thunderstorm throughout the day. So we just said, let's just skip it. You know, we didn't want to go off that far off the trail and not be able to summit Whitney and then, you know, just fail at it. So we just decided to go ahead and keep going. And uh, it was eating at me the whole trip that we didn't finish it. So the next year I said, well, let's do a section hike and all four of us were going to go and let's do Whitney. So I actually planned a trip about a week long and planned in two days for Whitney just in case something went wrong with the weather and ended up hitting it that year. So that was pretty exciting and ended up getting to the top on our anniversary. So another reason to celebrate. It's a pretty Mm -hmm. cool place to celebrate your anniversary. And what time of the day did you get up there? I think it was around 1.30. No, it was about 3.30 because we'd started pretty early. We came from Crabtree and I think you really need to start from Guitar Lake. It, really, it was a really long day. We didn't get back till after dark. Mm-hmm. But then this year we did the High Sierra Trail and uh, we actually camped at Guitar Lake the night before and made it up to Whitney. So it was a, just a different experience this year. Right. Yeah. I bet that's a big difference between starting at Crabtree and starting at Guitar. Yes. Now, the, the High Sierra Trail, where did you start? Uh, we started over in Sequoia at Crescent Meadow. Yep. Okay. And uh, that was a fun trip. I had, you know, heard about the trail because when we were on the John Muir Trail, you'd run into people and you'd say, oh, you're doing the John Muir Trail? I'm like, no, I'm doing the High Sierra Trail. And I didn't really know what it was at the time. So it was always in the back of my mind. And, you know, I really wanted to go back to the Sierras because oh, it's like you think you're done with it when you do the John Muir Trail and then you just keep going back. Mm-hmm. so I'd planned that trip and of course COVID hit and it really threw a wrench in a lot of planning I wasn't even sure if it was going to happen but we made it out there and uh, it was a tough trail I think some of the sections of that were tougher than the John Muir trail for me my son says well you just don't remember it you know, you <laughs> put that stuff out of your mind but That's it was right. a really pretty trail yeah what'd you like uh, best about it what were, what were some of the the more memorable sites from the high Sierra trail 
Oh, Precipice Lake was definitely my favorite. We didn't intend to camp there originally, and uh, we fell behind on some mileage uh, up to Kawaya uh, Gap, and it was just so hot and exposed to that section, so we ended up just staying at Precipice. It being my favorite campsite of the whole trail. And uh, there were lots of pretty sections. I mean, it was just more, I don't know if I would say more scenic than the John Muir Trail, but I guess Strider, she's a pretty famous uh, person out in that area. She used to own the Mount Williamson Motel. And uh, I think I saw a written description. She said about High Sierra Trail. She said, well, John Muir Trail is beautiful, but the High Sierra Trail is spectacular. So it's a good description for the trail. Nice. Yeah. Precipice Lake, when we did it, uh, it was actually frozen over. We were in the, in the depth of summer and uh, hiked up there. We, we parked our stuff and set up camp at Hamilton Lake and then hiked up, unpacked uh, to see Precipice Lake. And it was iced over, lots of snow on the ground. Was it, was it uh, snow free or ice free when you were there? No, it was all snow free. So uh, I guess it was a pretty good year for that. Yeah, the year we did it, you know that um, part of the trail when you're hiking up to Precipice Lake that has, you kind of go behind the rocks, there's kind of a, an arch that you go through. Oh, the little tunnel. I think that's tunnel. Hamilton Gorge, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, that the year that we went, there was a huge column of ice coming down the mountain and covering the trail. And as we were approaching it, I was wondering, you know, are we going to have to climb over this column of ice? Because that would be really sketchy. And in fact, when we got up to it, there was a passageway behind the ice. Oh, crazy. And of course, the, the ice is melting and water is dripping on you. It was the most surreal experience I've ever had on the trail. It's very cool. Yeah, that whole section I really liked. I think it, something about it reminded me of Forrester, the way it just kind of snaked around. It was mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And what else? What are other sites from, from uh, High Sierra Trail? Um. Well, Hamilton Lakes area was really pretty. Of course, mm-hmm. that's before uh, Precipice. And then Koya Gap coming down there. And uh, the, probably my least favorite section was Kearns Canyon. It wasn't as scenic to me, but the uh, Kearns Hot Springs, we stopped there for a little while and kind of hung out there. And uh, then getting back on the John Muir Trail, you know, just kind of good to be back on that section of trail when you meet up with it. And, Doing Whitney again. I mean, that was, mm-hmm. I think it was an even better experience this year. And then we oh. actually went down to uh, Whitney Portal this time because I'd never exited out that way. So that was kind of fun to see. Mm-hmm. Did you have a burger at the Whitney Portal store? We had gotten in uh, about 4.30 and we actually finished a day earlier than we had planned. We were actually going to camp on the way down from Whitney. So we were just pressed on. The kids were hungry and we uh, ended up finishing early and we were able to get Lone Pine Kurt to come and get us. So we had all been talking about pizza for days, pizza, salad, and root beer. That's what everybody wanted. So mm-hmm. we skipped the burgers and uh, ate some pizza in Lone Pine. Yeah, that's a, a common common uh, tendency for hikers on the trail. At least two days out from, from the start, start talking about food. What are we going to eat when we get back? Yep, obsessively. And you know exactly what it's going to be obsessively that's a good good way to describe it now I, you mentioned uh kurt again your buddy kurt was it lone pine kurt yes lone pine kurt tell us about lone pine kurt what, what is the service that he offers he had he's about 80 years old if i recall correctly he is a retired pilot and i think he was in the air force but don't quote me on that 
And uh, we spent a lot of time with him because he took us, he picked us up from the trail and took us to the hotel. But then the next day he took us from uh, Lone Pine all the way to Vegas. So it was about a four hour car ride. My husband got to sit in the front seat with them and hear all his stories. Great guy though. He, uh, he's been providing the service for years and uh, it's pretty easy to work with. And you know, he's, he said it doesn't matter, you know, if it's in the middle of the night, if there's someone that has to get off the trail, you know, unplanned exits, he'll be there, you know, he'll pick them up. So, you know, of course, he, I think he told us that uh, he likes to do it for beer money. So, a great guy. So, if he's still doing it next year, make sure you uh, hit him up. Nice. And what does he charge for his service? Um, I think the trip to Vegas was few hundred dollars and he'll, he can take up to five people and then i think the ride from whitney portal to lone pine might have been 60 bucks i'd have to look it up but i mean for what it is it's reasonable and you don't have to have the stress of trying to hitchhike right right all right hey should we get to the trail that i originally saw on instagram Angels, <laughs> yeah. Angels Landing. I've heard about that. All this talking just to get to this one trail. <laughs> just to get to this one trail. I remember we took a cross-country trip when my son was about nine years old. My, my son and my two daughters and my wife we were going back to Colorado. We were going to stop in Utah. And one of the, one of the places we were going to hike was uh, Zion National Park. And I was looking through and I saw this, this incredible looking hike. Uh, called Angel's Landing and right up on it and how dangerous it was. And my kids and my wife were begging me not to do it. And I said, I'm going to do this. And we, we drove through, but when we drove through, there was a fire burning through Zion and we actually drove, we drove through and uh, went, went and did arches instead. So I never got a chance to do Angel's Landing. It's always been intriguing to me. It looks harrowing. It looks uh, incredible. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting hike. I'll have to put myself in the mindset of, you know, the first time I did it, because now I've done it three times, so I kind of see the trail a little bit differently. But I had seen some pictures of it, I think, on Instagram or something. Maybe I knew someone that had done it, and, of course, I'd never heard of it before. And I thought, this looks kind of interesting. So the year after Grand Canyon, that was 2016, in 2017, we were trying to plan our next family trip, and I was like, well, let's go to Utah. So I hadn't known about Angel's Landing, did some research. So we basically planned the whole trip around Angel's Landing. Mm -hmm. And that was the one trail I knew I had to do. So we planned this 11-day trip. We're going to fly in and out of Vegas. And we're going to go to Zion and do the Mighty Five. So all five national parks in Utah. So we're going to go to Zion and Bryce and uh, Capitol Reef, Arches and Canyonland. And uh, then wind around down to like Monument Valley area and Page, Arizona, so we could see Horseshoe Bend. So it was going to be this long trip. And of course, you know, it was all, like I said, focused on this two and a half mile trail. And I didn't know much about Zion. You know, I didn't know what to expect. Casey's uh, dad and stepmom had bought an RV a few years ago. So they had been visiting some national parks and they weren't too impressed with Zion. I think they don't really do the trails, you know, they go to the observation points and stuff. So they were like, eh, you know, there's not a whole lot to see. And if you just go into Zion and drive through or take the shuttle through like you have to do in the summer, it's not the most impressive park. I mean, if you just, if you're not on the trails, but once you hit the trails, it's you know beautiful. There's some really cool stuff to see. So we uh, planned a couple days in Zion and went in there and 
first day we did a fairly easy trail. It was Emerald Pools Trail. And uh, that afternoon we went to the Narrows, which is also a very popular trail. I mm-hmm. think when you go to Angel's Landing, you've got to do the Narrows. And for those that don't know, it's a water hike in the Virgin River. So there's some current. I recommend hiking poles because you lose your footing. But like I said, the real reason we were there was for Angel's Landing. So the next day, uh, that was our planned hike. And during the summer, you have to take the shuttle. So we went there at like 6 a.m., caught the first shuttle so we could miss some of the crowds. And got to the trailhead. And it's the trail itself uh, two and a half miles one way, so five miles round trip. And you gain about 1,500 feet in elevation. And it's a pretty decent trail. It's kind of sandy at the beginning, but the rest is paved. So first two miles, uh, you get up to this uh, scout lookout, which I think is where a lot of people stop. That's before it gets fun. Yeah. So yeah, we left gonna, our kids you're there. To describe, you're going to have to describe <laughs> for our listeners who may not be familiar with Angel's Landing what you mean by uh, before it gets fun. Yeah, the uh, so the first two miles are pretty normal. You know, it's like I said, it's got some elevation change, but nothing too scary. So you get up to this lookout, and then it starts a section, what they refer to as the chain section. And the, you hike up, up on a ridge, and it's considered class three at that point. So a lot of scrambling with your, with your hands, you know, kind of pulling up on the chains and kind of steps in the rock. And uh, it's not a normal hike by any means. But I think I guess the scariest part about Angel's Landing is the exposure to the drop-offs. There's a lot of drop-offs. And uh, even a section of trail that's only a few feet wide with sheer drop-offs on each side. And I believe that's referred to as a step of faith. I think one of the pictures you saw that I had on Instagram was that picture. Mm-hmm. I've been sunny about to walk up on the step of faith. So it's, I know they say people have died there. I think what was kind of funny was a sign that warns you uh, had been like painted over with black paint and looked like someone wrote with white out that 10 people have died. So it's like the way they keep changing it every year when someone else dies. And I think usually the people that uh, fall off, they do it when it's icy. I think that's usually the worst time to go up there because it is, like I said, pretty exposed. It's easy to just fall off the side. <laughs> so, Yeah, when you say sheer drop-off, what, what kind of uh, height are we talking? How, how far down? Any idea? Probably, well, the elevation gain is total to the top is like 1488. So, you know, at that point, you're probably at least a thousand or more feet. So, yeah, you got to hold, there's chains, they call it the chain section because not every sec- part of it has a chain, but in the parts where maybe there is a drop off, there is a chain on the side face of the rock that you can kind of hang on to so you won't just slip off if you stumble or something, but and then there's parts where the chains help you because it's you're it's more than you're steeper than just steps even it's almost like you're climbing a ladder in parts so you use those chains to kind of help you up and there's a lot of people so there's it gets pretty narrow and there's sections where you can't pass people so you get kind of this traffic jam of people trying to get by and you got to stop and let people through so it's definitely one of the most interesting trails I've ever hiked Okay, and I know that you skipped Half Dome um, on one of your JMT trips. Have you gone back and done Half Dome? No, I would like to do that. 
Yeah, because it, it sounds a little bit similar in some respects because there are cables at Half Dome and there's traffic going up and traffic going down. And there's not a whole lot of uh, instruction or guidance presented to you by the, the ranger about yeah. how, how to do this. You're kind of <laughs> on your own there. And so it's, it's quite exciting and uh, uh, pretty scary at times. So it, it, interesting. You should, you should take a look at that one too. Yeah, Half Dome, I think it's that last section, it gets harder because it's just so steep. And I think even some of those pictures probably don't do justice. But at least Angel's Landing, there, there's parts, you know, you can you can stop and rest. And then there might be some pieces that are steeper than others. So, yeah, two totally different types of trails. But I think they're both pretty kind of scary. Yeah, all the literature I've read on Half Dome says that it's a 45-degree incline. But I swear... When I was on those cables, it felt more like 70, a 70 degree incline. Yeah, I can imagine. It was crazy. All right. Hey, what about this? Uh, I saw something else uh, called the Eagle Rock Loop. Oh, yeah, that's a good trail. That's in Arkansas. Okay. And my husband had hiked, backpacked that with a couple of friends. I forget the first year, maybe 2015, 2016. And that's back, you know, before I, before I did the Grand Canyon, but wasn't really doing a lot of other backpacking trips and I kept saying I want to go and he's like oh no it's pretty hard but it's 28 miles and it's a loop which is pretty good because then you don't have to worry about logistics of uh, Mm -hmm. you know where to start and stop and I think for a while it's been kind of a nice little secret uh, trail in Arkansas I don't think a lot of people outside of Arkansas or surrounding states really know about it and it's in the Wachita mountain range so it's real heavily treed and uh, you got about seven mountain passes to go over. I mean, it's nothing like John Muir Trail and by any means of elevation game. But the interesting part about the trail is there's lots of water, lots of water sources. And uh, when you do hike up those mountains, it's steep. There's very little switchbacks. So if mm. you're doing some training and stuff, it's really a good trail to go and try. But I think it's getting a little more popular now. I have a member of the Facebook group and, uh, there seems to be a little more chatter about the trail these days. A lot of people wanting to do it. So recommend yeah. it though, if you can get to Arkansas. Okay. Very good. What, what city is it close to? Uh, Jasper. No, not Jasper. Let me think. That's sorry. That was where we went rock climbing recently. Let me see if I can find it. Cause it is kind of, it feels like you're out in the middle of nowhere. Langley, Langley, Arkansas. Langley, Arkansas. Okay, the Eagle Rock Loop near Langley, Arkansas. Now, any desire by yourself or uh, Casey for a long trail? That it's always in the back of my mind. Uh huh. It's uh, I I don't like hiking by myself, and I think that's. I don't know if I could ever do something on my own like that. I mean, I know a lot of people do. That's kind of how they do those long trails when they find their trail families. But I don't know. It's if I could find someone that could commit to it do it with me, I'd probably be more excited about it. But definitely interested in doing something like that. I, I'm probably more interested in doing the Pacific Crest Trail than the Appalachian Trail right now. But we'll see. You never know. Mm-hmm. Could happen. Do you, do you have the ability to take five months off? I, I do. I uh, work for myself from home, so my schedule is pretty flexible. So that's that wouldn't even be the issue. I think it's just committing to it and doing it. 
Now you said earlier about the John Muir Trail that, you know, when you were hiking out to Onion Valley that you were thinking, oh my gosh, I've only been on the trail for five days and I've told people that I'm doing this. So you kind of spoke that into existence and forced yourself to continue. Do you want to uh, say right now on the John freaking Muir pod that you're going to do the Pacific <laughs> Crest Trail? You're going to commit to that and put the pressure on yourself? Oh, I'll say maybe 90% commit to it. Okay. Would your sons be interesting, interested in, in accompanying you? Probably my oldest son would do something like that. Yeah, he's my youngest. Yeah. I mean, ever since we did the John Muir Trail, I think he's got kind of a fondness of getting out and hiking and backpacking. Mm-hmm. My youngest isn't quite as excited about it, but he'll do it if we drag him along. What did the family hiking experience do for you in terms of the family dynamic? Any, any big uh, changes, revelations? aha moments yeah i think in general they're they're both really good kids and they're pretty helpful but Mm -hmm. you know when you're out there and everybody's got things to do like cooking food or putting up tents you know everybody worked together pretty well so it was kind of fun to have that happen and just take care of each other i guess nice you think the family's closer as a as a result um, I think in general, yeah, I mean, we do a lot of stuff together. I think we're all pretty close. We do a lot of other activities too, besides backpacking. So pretty good family dynamic. I'm going to miss them when they're off in college. So did Cooper pick up a, uh, a trail name or is it Carter? <laughs> uh, Carter's eldest. He's the one that was rock cover. He's Cooper, rock cover, he right. did. Cooper. Uh, we called him squishy. Squishy. Yes. He, oh. uh, for his pillow, none of us carry pillows anymore. So he uh, takes a bandana and wraps up his puffy coat in that. And he's, he, we used to make fun of him because he said he liked it because it was squishy. So we started calling him squishy. Do you think rock hopper and squishy are going to continue this with their future families? I would hope tradition? so. I yeah. think, you know, that it, some of it's just not knowing how to do this stuff. And I think they, they both, you know, have the skills now, like, we sent them out on the trail on their own. They can both do it. They have those skills and the know-how. So I think that's the biggest part. And I think they'd feel comfortable then taking their families out and doing it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Now, can, how many, how many miles do you think you've logged on your hiking feet? Mm. If I had to just throw out a number, I'd probably say 600. All right, 600 miles. And in those 600 miles, do you have any uh-oh moments that you uh, like to share with the, the listeners here on the pod? Some moments where you thought, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Well, that would be the Grand Canyon <laughs> for 16 hours. I've probably set a record for the longest uh, ascent out of Grand Canyon. Um, I've fallen a lot of times, especially downhill, just going too fast. And uh, we almost derailed our uh, section hike of the John Muir Trail uh, when we went back to do Whitney. We had started 45 minutes in. I was trucking along and thinking I was pretty good at all these water crossings after the year before. And uh, very first water crossing we came to after 45 minutes, I stepped up on a log and was stepping up on another log and the log rolled on me and I just fell hard mm. and scraped up my arm and thought I broke my leg but luckily just scraped it up pretty good and that would have been quite embarrassing but other than that nothing too horrific no bears no snakes I have never seen a bear 
And uh, my husband saw one on the High Sierra Trail. He was just a little bit ahead of us and he scared it off. So yeah, he's spent less time in the Sierra than me and I have never seen a bear. Seen some snakes, lots of deer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, deer are plentiful on the trail. I think there's a a misconception that around every every, uh, tree, there's a, a bear kind of lurking that's the the misconception out there and i and i i really i've seen a glimpse of a bear and i've i've probably logged similar miles to to you maybe one day i know everybody wants to see him but <laughs> very good so you've also picked up uh kayaking and rock climbing yeah kayaking we've done uh different trips uh like we were down in Georgia, North Carolina, we did some family trips. We went kayaking in Hilton Head and then also on a, another river in North Carolina. And then I think pretty much every time since I've gone with my friend Sonny, we've done some guided trips in Texas and uh, did a trip in Utah uh, where we went. And also recently we were in Arizona and went to Lake Powell and kayak there so mm-hmm. i don't own a kayak but that's something i think it's just kind of fun to expand your horizons do yeah. something a little different and how about the rock climbing are we talking uh, alex honnold free solo type oh, stuff? oh man that's that's the newest thing we uh we're totally obsessed now we still do all the hiking and backpacking but yeah the rock climbing is something that i wish i discovered sooner right my, my brother was a rock climber when i was growing up of course you know that was nothing i'd ever thought about but mm-hmm. yeah, they would they would go on trips up into Oklahoma and Arkansas and climb and now here I am at 40 I think I was 44 when I started so a little late but last year we had done you know the section of the John Muir Trail and kids were kind of burned out on you know the backpacking you know, hiker amnesia and kicked in so I had actually rock climbed in Utah June of last year with my friend Sonny uh, and it was just an easy guided stuff we did but i thought it was kind of fun something the kids might like so i booked a trip through rei down in austin texas and they got you all geared up and kid loved it i mean it was you know fun to see them you know having that much fun out there and i did horrible i couldn't even climb any of the routes they had set up it was kind of embarrassing but they uh kids were having fun so that was the whole reason we'd got we had done it but we got back a week later there's some good climbing gyms around dallas so went to the climbing gym and we were hooked. So we've been yeah. doing it ever since. And now we travel and go outdoors and do sport climbing. And yeah. Now, are you rope? Ro- are you rope? Are you roped in when you're doing your climbing? Yeah. The kids like the bouldering. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do bouldering at the gyms. Yeah. And uh, I, I just can't do that. I'm just afraid of you know, breaking a leg or something, but yeah, we're roped in. We do top roping and uh, we all trained and got certified in lead climbing uh, last December. So, you can do that. It's a lot of fun. Nice. Now there's some great uh, climbing documentaries out there. So there's Valley Uprising. Did you see that? I don't know if I've seen that one. Valley Uprising is about the evolution of climbing in Yosemite Valley. Really, really good. Check it out. There is, of course, Free Solo. Yeah, Free Solo. So Valley Uprising, I had that, was that the one with the... uh... There wasn't one with the older guy and the younger guy teaming up, was it? There was one where this older guy was teaching this younger guy to climb, and it was pretty cool. But yeah, free solo. We saw that before I actually like had climbed. Right. My oldest was climbing, but uh, yeah, that was uh, definitely there's, a good uh, one. There's the Dawn Wall. Yep, seen that one. Which was really good. Um, Maru, did you see Maru with uh, Jimmy yes. Chin? 
That yep. was that was crazy. And then there's a, a little known documentary out there. I don't think a lot of people have seen it. It's called Wide Boys, and it's B O Y Z. Wide Boys. Oh yeah, they do the uh, the crack climbing, don't they? Yeah, it's the it's the off the off width uh, crack climbing. It's you know, yeah. Normally they're they're climbing up these the you know you see climbers going up the, you know, the narrow cracks and getting their fingers in there and, and, you know, going all the way up. And these are like wider cracks where you've got to jam your entire arm or your, you know, your thigh into to get a, you know, a good, good position there to get yourself up to the next, the next spot. So that was, that was kind of a crazy documentary too. Very entertaining. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever get into the trad climbing or the uh, crack climbing stuff, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's fun. It's a good kind of diversion and just, extra outdoor activity to take up so mm-hmm. we're really having fun with it so what's next for jen what's the next big thing mm. well I, I have long wanted to go to patagonia mm. and hike the uh, q circuit which is mm-hmm. about 70 87 miles i believe so yep. that's something i'd love to do my goal is kind of to do it by the time i'm 50 just because of the logistics and the cost you know, get pretty pricey to get yourself down there so Mm -hmm. that's a big goal and we've also been kind of talking a little more seriously about the grand canyon again you know so we can repeat that trip and maybe stay a couple Mm -hmm. nights down there just not in june (laughs) and (laughs) i want to repeat that yeah it's got to be a better experience this time right oh i would i would think so i mean that's (laughs) right now in my mind that's probably something we could do in a day even just knowing you know the other hikes we've done like i said i did elbert in Colorado, that's about 10 miles and 45-ish, you know, elevation gains. So if I can do that in a day, I think I could do Grand Canyon. So Absolutely. we'll see. Okay. Very good. Hey, Jen, you know where we are? What do you mean? Oh, I think you want my tip of the week? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yes. The pro tip insight of the week. Jen, what can you share with our listeners to uh, help their next trip be even that much better? Probably. I don't think I have just one go on and on but i think the biggest thing is don't overpack i mean that's that's really hard to do i think for your first backpacking trip so i don't know i i don't know how you do it without doing it so you just have to figure out your gear and hope you didn't overpack and i say do your research i'm a planner i mean i i know everything i can about the trail and logistics and everything and have backup plans so that's a big one for me and uh carry some kind of satellite device you know i carry a garmin in reach and i can't imagine getting hurt out in the middle of nowhere and not having a way to access help mm-hmm. i'd say right. some of those are the big ones don't overpack and have an emer- emergency communication device good good tips now i heard you complaining about the uh is it the the deuter deuter backpack deuter, that you, yes you originally had what what do you have mm-hmm. now what do you have I now have- and what is your what is your pack weight? Uh, on a- uh, I have three different Osprey backpacks. I can't remember the actual models, but one's like thirty six liters. The one I carried on the Jamia Trail sixty five or so, and then I got a new one for the High Sierra Trail. It's a lighter. Uh, it's not their lightest weight one, but it is one that's a little bit lighter, and. Uh, so I'm a big Osprey fan. I think they're the most comfortable. The Dorder, even though I, you know, I got fitted for it at REI, it just was not comfortable. And I know there's a lot of people out there that love them, but mm-hmm. I'm an Osprey girl. You're an Osprey family, it sounds like. Y- yeah, we all have Osprey packs. So. 
Nice. And what, what do you take on a multi-day uh, trip in terms of weight? How, what, what's your pack weight now? Uh, I think the High Sierra Trail, I was at about 26 pounds, but I was not carrying the tent. I did have a bear canister, so I was still carrying all the food and mm-hmm. things like that. But 26 for me is pretty good. You know, I, I get the clothes down and mm-hmm. all that pretty good. So I'm pretty lean on my hike. I'm not ultra hot, you know, ultra light by any means, but that's comfortable weight for me. You're not drilling holes in your toothbrush to uh, count the grams? Well, I did buy a toothbrush that you know, has just a little nub that you hold on to. I got it off this website called Garage Grown Gear. They have some pretty cool ultralight stuff. We ended up not using it. I think we went to CVS right before we started the trail because it's just, I don't know. I guess you can go crazy with all that, but... Well, when you do your PCT hike, you're going to go crazy and, and, and uh, get your pack weight down to 13 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. So th- there you have it. That's it. Episode 43 is in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Jen, and I want to thank her for joining us this week. Jen, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media, and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? I'm pretty active on Instagram, so you can find me out there at uh, Jen, J-E-N. L Lucas, two L's. Yeah, whenever I'm on Instagram, I always notice there's a green dot by your name uh, showing that you are active and online. Yeah, I'm always looking for that next trip on there. Nice. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. And if you have any comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmuir at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you are not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. Right, Jen? Exactly. Yep. Very good. That's a wrap from the John Freaking Muir Studio. Any final thoughts, Jen? No, I just would say if uh, you want to get out there and hike, then do it. You know, quit talking about it. You're never too old to do it. So just get out there. Thank you for tuning in and always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've got the leap of faith in front of you. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.